This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Chasing your core values is much better than just knowing. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. That championship game, Shane, I bet there was some celebrating at your house. Way too much celebrating. I didn't get to go to bed until midnight, at least. Everybody was excited and wound up, to say the least, especially after that first half. It turned out to be an interesting night. Emma, my future Jayhawk, is wanting to have a watch party. And once we figure out the game doesn't start till 8.20, Julie and I are both like, wow, that means the game's not gonna be over with till 11. And about 9.30, we're kind of (laughs) done. (laughs) <laughs> so we're not really sure what we're going to do here. She's talking watch party. She's trying to drum up other family members. Once they figure out it's 8.20, an 8.20 start, everybody starts looking, oh, surely that's Eastern time. No, yeah, no, it was Central time. My wife did this really cool thing where Emma and I were both gone. We didn't get home till about 8 because we had done a workout When we show up, Julie has rigged the back porch and the TV area, and she's draped the the Jayhawk flag, and she's made a whole table of finger foods, and we have a watch party for the three of us. We ended up having our watch party, but it was a very private watch party. Well, that first half was fantastic at our house, but I knew when the Tar Heels went in at halftime up by 15, I mean, had... Had the Tar Heels been up by three or five going in, we would have been okay. But I knew, I knew it was going to be a, it's going to be a rough second half. So my bracket's happy because KU won, but our household is not very happy. Yeah, a lot of Tar Heel depression this morning, I'm sure. Yes. A lot of Jayhawk happiness this morning. I saw some pictures, some drone footage from the Mass Street there in Lawrence, and it was crazy, crazy crowded. Pretty cool stuff. But, you know, isn't it interesting how you have that feeling if you have too big of a lead or that you're going to hit coast mode? And isn't that an interesting thing? You know, go in at halftime with a big lead and you're kind of worried. Oh, I was really worried because I knew Kansas was going to be on fire coming out after halftime. I remember thinking if they go up by 20, Kansas is in trouble. If they keep it 15 or below, Kansas has a shot. I don't know what there was there, but there was something there, right? There's something in that spot. I thought they had a stop. They were up by 13 in the last few seconds, and Carolina had a little putback on a rebound and made it 15. And I just thought, you know, if they were going to have that stop, I told our family, I was like, hey, they stop right here, they got a real shot. They're going to come out firing on, on all cylinders in the second half. And then they had the putback right there with like two seconds and go up by 15, Carolina does. And so, I'm like, ooh, I don't know. That's depressing. You've made a little comeback. You're getting ready to go in on a little bit of a high note defensive stop, and then Carolina kind of puts a dagger in you. And so you're like, ooh, I don't know what you do with that. I don't know. It was impressive. Impressive adjustments. Carolina's really athletic. Both of those teams, crazy, crazy athletic and fast and organized chaos. Just good stuff. You know, Kansas came out and they were playing so fast in the beginning. I mean, it just looked like they were playing twice as fast as Carolina. Yeah. 
I looked at the cute boy and I'm like, that's just not sustainable. And I think that's what happened in that first half. I just think that Kansas had so much emotion and so much energy coming out that was not sustainable, but they got it back at the half. I'm sure we have something to talk about, but just last comment here, maybe a little bit different point, but Hubert Davis, Carolina coach, I am so impressed. Yeah. So stinking impressed. And I've grown up watching him back when he was a Tar Heel and he was so fired up. Super impressed. I don't get fired up, and it fired me up, and I'm not even rooting for them. So I just, that's pretty impressive. You fire me up. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. (laughs) You know that. (laughs) So, what are we talking about today besides the championship game that our Tar Heels lost? Tragically. Oh, let's talk about thinking you know more than you know. Oh, that's a fun one. Yeah. I have a history here. I've really had uh, this transition over a long period of time from pretty arrogant, not so great guy in my 20s to pretty reserved as experiences have kind of taught me different things, maybe humbled me through the process. I had a mentor in my 20s. She kept saying, you think you know everything now, but when you get to those late 30s, early 40s, you're going to realize you know absolutely nothing. And I think that's true. I do. I, and I, I speak directly to our, our Gen Zs and our younger millennials. And it's it's so hard. Like I, I empathize with the lack of experience and you're excited. And, and really, I, I had a an older gentleman in my life at an earlier age that made a comment, you know, that you, you really ought to be allowed to live life backwards. I thought that was always interesting. Like at 22, you need to know what you know at 72. Right. And if you could somehow live life backwards with that 20s something energy, you know, how dynamic could you be? I don't know if our energy fades because we we allow it to fade or if it fades because we think, well, that won't work or we get stuck in a rut or something along those lines. But, you know, we have so much energy in our 20s and 30s, but the experiences aren't there. And so we think we know, but we don't know. And 20-something-year-old Shane thought he knew a whole, whole lot and was fairly arrogant, just to be totally unfiltered today. I mean, pretty arrogant, not to my liking. I don't love my 20-something-year-old self. I wasn't a father yet, but I was a husband in my early to mid-20s. I wasn't a great husband, not in like really terrible ways, but like just being a good husband, right? Being selfless, that wasn't a great character trait in my early days of marriage. So I'm told that was a joke. (laughs) But it's one of those things that over time that through experiences, you just learn more. You come out the other side. If you pay attention, hopefully if you pay attention, you come out with a little bit wiser view on things. Is there a way to skip the experience to get the knowledge? Well, we just heard speakers at the Integra conference talk about you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, and you need to listen twice as much as you talk. And unfortunately for me, that was not my case. I talked three times more than I listened. I think for me, I would say, listen more. Why is this person trying to tell me this? Why do we struggle to listen so much? right? Is it trust? Is it they don't know what they're talking about? Is it, oh, that can't be right. They're old. You know, they're in their 40s. Thanks, Shane. Another joke. Um, You know, they're old. 60s is the new 30 in my world. So, hey, I I love stuff like that. That makes me a teenager. That's okay. That's okay. 19 was fun. 19 is still a teenager. So, you know, that's not bad. No, no. (laughs) I'd like to perpetually be 32. Yeah, 
Julie's 33 is the, the number she uses. I hear women say that a lot. 32, 33 seems to be the number. I don't know. I would love to have the physical body of my 24-year-old self with my 48-year-old brain because my 48-year-old body just feels tired. No matter how much exercise I give it and how much eating right I do, I wake up in the morning hurting, and I don't understand why. I don't get it. Because as athletes, all the things we did to our bodies in our teenage years and our 20-year-old years, we're now being punished for those things. And I would like to say I would have been kinder to my body had I known what it was going to feel like now, but probably not. Yeah, I punished the heck out of my body as a high schooler and collegiate athlete, no doubt, no doubt at all. So I I think it's listening. I think it's possible. I think it's just really hard to get that perspective. You have this excitement and you have these ideas and you just want to go and and you're so energized around your career and what you're doing and everything's new. If we could somehow combine all that newness energy with the listening and good mentorship, a group of people that knew had been there, knew what they were talking about, that we were willing to listen to. I'm not sure we can skip it, but I think we can make it a whole lot less painful. And choosing the right mentors is a big part of that too. So many of us see person A or agency A as being a great success. And we always put our best foot forward, right? And we don't necessarily see the back end of things. And sometimes we choose the wrong mentors and we don't know what we don't know. And so then we can go down the wrong path pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that's very critical. I think the right mentor is is extremely important. You can have a mentor, have the wrong type of person for you, and end up in a really bad place. I think that the outside shiny finished version is what you kind of have to peel that onion back a little bit and you have to see what's really on the inside and what's really there and how things really work. And I'm back here. I'm, I'm about to go down the authenticity path again. You, you got to make sure that there's some authenticity there, that it's not just for show. It's an old commercial. I love the old commercial of the big house, the nice yard, the nice cars in the driveway, riding the really, really expensive riding lawnmower, which I think is a little hypocritical because if you got all that nice stuff and you're mowing your own lawn, that maybe should give it away a little bit. But it's this guy riding this lawnmower, mowing, and, you know, he's like, how do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. From the outside looking in, you've got this really perfect picture of the great American family in the suburbs and, and all of that. But if you peel that back and you go, not that we would ever do this, but you know, if you said, hey man, love your house. If we introduced each other and said, love your house, love your cars. Hey, here's my financial statement. Can you show me yours? And just, oh my gosh, I can't believe that person asked me that question. But I mean, wouldn't it like tear down a bunch of fakeness in the world? Absolutely. I mean, it would be like, oh, I really don't want to do that, you know? I think authenticity with mentorship is extremely important. Getting underneath the hood with with various agencies, you find out that, you know, some of them are run well, really, really well, and some of them are are run not so well. Really exposes itself during valuation. One of the big problems is what you think you know, but you don't know. What are those things that we need to know starting our agencies? 
Your core values are super important, even if it's just you. You have to set that tone as, a, as the leader, as the agency owner. You have to set that tone. And as you grow your agency, your culture is going to develop. And I am big culture guy these days. I wasn't always, didn't really understand. I kind of went through this phase of process. Process is really important. If I had to prioritize, it's people, then process right it's it's people process tools that was said by one of our one of our partners in our at our conference and i think it's true and i think it's in that order but people starts with your core values because if you're just hiring someone because you need them and they're licensed they may be the wrong person your core values and your culture that's set out by the by those core values are going to determine if you do it right who you hire and how you hire and how you bring those people on And as soon as it is no longer just you, then there's other people who are talking to your customers. And there's other people who are doing things that might cause you an E&O claim. And there's other people that are in charge of daily interactions. And you're not always the one having that, that interaction anymore. And so that's why I think it starts with people. And I think you back it up one step and say, you know, what are my core values? What do I believe? How do I want this to look as it grows? So I love the concept of core values. And one of the things that Stephen Mackey said at our conference was he took it a step further and I loved it because we always had the discussion about following the core values. Does it fit the core values? And he used the phrase, chase your core values. I mean, not just follow them, but chase after them. And that took it to the next level for me. I loved that phrase. I did too. I'm glad you brought that up. I'd forgotten about it. I'm not a good note taker. But chasing your core values is much better than just knowing them, right? You can write them down. You can create the core values. But if you just create them and set them to the side, well, then they're they're kind of worthless, right? You just, you just wasted energy. But if you chase them, wow, okay, now we're living them because I'm chasing them every day. I'm going to chase my core values. I have two daughters. There's things that I've learned as a parent. Certainly different <laughs> different stages of raising girls is both heart-wrenching and joyful all in the same sentence. You know, one of the things I learned early on is that I had to chase them in different stages, especially the dating stage. You know, when they hit that dating stage, they kind of move away from dad. That's natural, right? I mean, that's that's a natural thing. It's just kind of weird, right? Maybe they've had their first kiss or whatever, and it's like, now dad's around, and it's like, okay. And so as a dad, one of the things I've learned is I've had to chase them, to pursue them. I think that that's that's an example that I would immediately go to is you're chasing something that may be moving away from you. So chasing your daughters and chasing your core values, to me, has some similarity to it. You're going to be pursuing something, and catching them takes a while right? And you got to keep pursuing. That's my visual. If that helps anybody that has daughters out there, then uh, that's how I, I relate that. And I think that evolves to probably chasing your daughter that is in Spain right now is different than chasing your daughter that is a senior in high school. Uh, sure. And so it's at a different place. So you're you're still chasing, but you're in a different place. I can tell you that now that I'm old enough to know better, because I'm not going to tell you my age, but my father is still chasing that relationship. But I've learned that that's, I understand now that that's what he's doing. And so I've started to hold back to be able to have as much time 
as possible with him. That evolves. And I think it's the same way with our with our core values, that we chase them, we chase them, we chase them, but then they become a part of us. And it's no longer a chase. It's a, okay, I'm in the right place. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. They're very similar to your agency life cycle, what we're talking about here, because you always have these situations where you trip and fall. I mean, I tripped and fell as a father plenty of times, still do. And you have to get back up and you have to keep chasing. And the same thing happens in your agency. You may chase after your core values, hit a wrong turn, get lost in the moment, trip and fall, and then you have to pick yourself back up and re- reset your course, right? And you have to do that whether you're talking about parenting, whether you're talking about marriage, whether you're talking about whatever. And that happens to us in our in our lives, in our career. And I think within our agencies, it happens a lot because there's the comparison deal. You know, we've got this back to that comparable. How am I doing next to my peers? I want that thing out there. I want to be like that agency. And so comparables get in the way here too. Within those comparables, we're chasing and we think we're chasing and chasing. And then all of a sudden we're off in this tangent and we figure out halfway down that path, ooh, we're not chasing our core values anymore. We're chasing our comparable. That's really easy early on in our 20s and 30s if we started an agency at that at that point in time. It's really easy to get caught up in that. And I know I did. I was terrible. I don't know how guys do it today all cards on the table here. We didn't have the social media influence. I didn't have that social media influence in the late 90s, early 2000s, but my comparables were still there. You know, my com- my comparables just took a little longer. Insurance Journal article, Big Eye Magazine article, Who's Who, all of these things that were published and put out, you know, they might have come at a little slower pace, but the comparables were there. Who's doing what in the marketplace, what this agency's doing. I spent a decade chasing the wrong thing. That's painful. Talking about wins and losses, Damon West was at our conference last week, the author of The Coffee Bean, and I loved one of the things he said. He said, no one keeps track of your wins and losses in life, but they are watching when you get back up. That was kind of life-changing for me because like you, I don't really care about winning, but I really hate to lose. But I have seen other people and how they've gotten back up after a loss or, or a tragedy or I'd never thought about it that way. So that was a big takeaway from, from our conference was no one keeps track of your wins and losses in life, but they are watching when you get back up. I think the comeback story is always the most inspiring. Fresh off of KU, you know, the Jayhawks now have the largest comeback in title game history. 16 points at one point. 15 at half, but I think it had gotten up to 16 points. There's something about picking yourself up and being willing to learn from failure and do it again. I'm not big on failure. I don't want to come across wrong. I I listened to a podcast the other day of some folks that I I really enjoy. I was listening to them and they were talking about this idea, kind of poking holes in failure and and don't shoot for failure. And I, I kind of disagreed a little bit in the sense that not that I'm out to fail, I don't like to fail, but there's so much that happens through failure, through getting knocked down, 
whether we're talking the underdog or whether we're talking about being able to pick yourself back up. We talk about sports a lot here. I mean, how do we not talk about Rocky, right? I mean, I know it's a movie, but if you go and look at Rocky 1 through 4, how many times does he get knocked down and get back up on that mat? Oh my gosh. How many times can you possibly knock him down? I mean, he's just, and I, and I get it. It's a movie. It's not real life, but it, it, it's inspiring. How do you not get inspired about that? I see the same thing when I see an agency get knocked down or an agency owner make a bad move and then pick themselves back up. Start over. We talk about agents making the leap from the captive system to the independent system or a producer jumping out there and starting their, wanting to own their own agency. You're going to get hit in the mouth every now and then. You're going to get knocked down. So what are you going to do about it? One of the panels that I had the opportunity to host last week, we had several agents that had recently made the leap from extremely successful captive agencies and, and becoming independent. And we talked about those fears and we talked about, you know, what are the reasons that they almost didn't do it? What are the reasons they did do it? Seeing those agents be so vulnerable and saying, yeah, it was really scary. I mean, I loved it. I love the vulnerability. I loved the sharing. I love the going back to your word, authenticity of that. But it does take a leap of faith. Another thing that was said last week, I loved it. Fear and faith both believe in futures that haven't happened yet. So many people have enough faith in themselves that they will jump out there and rebuild and rebuild something that's so much better than what they had to begin with. I think that when we're younger, I think that was the original question or the original thought is is how do we skip that? And I'm not sure you can skip it. You know, I think I said that a little bit earlier, but I think if we could just listen and we could just observe and we could just realize that it's okay if you don't make it the first time. We've talked before about how many times it took James Dyson to get the perfect prototype. We've talked about really highly publicized failures of Walt Disney before he gained success. There's so many examples of failure and picking yourself up that we learn so much. And I'm a really, really good example of that. You know, if I went through, you know, I don't know how many different podcasts it would take to go through all of those, but it would take a a number of them. I failed a lot. People don't know that necessarily because the company didn't fail, right? That doesn't mean the company failed. That doesn't mean you're out of business, but I had a lot of setbacks, we had a lot of setbacks and we just kept pushing the flywheel. We just kept picking ourselves back up. And early on, that's what you have to do. And and if you realize, I wish I would have realized that there were probably some people out there that would have helped me, that would have guided me a little better. I wouldn't have had to fail as much. I might still would have tripped and fell a little bit, but I didn't have to do it as, as much and as long as I did it. I'm going to leave us today with a quote by the great Michael Jordan. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one today. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com.